The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, we're going to open up this year with a brand new series called Fixing Us, and I believe it's going to help you grow. Whether you're married or single or widowed or divorced or in high school or college, it doesn't matter. Don't check out if you're not married. That's the only thing I ask is don't check out mentally because some people go, oh, they're going to talk about marriage. Don't check out because I promise this is going to help you no matter who you are. If you're a note taker, you can write down this title this morning, Awaken to Brokenness. Awaken to Brokenness. I've always been uh, you know, the type of person that would associate the word broken to mean bad. That means not good, worthless, because no one wants broken things, really. It seems that even when you fix broken things, that sometimes they're just not the same as they were before. I remember when my kids were smaller that their toys were really easy to fix, and they thought that I had magical powers because I would take the plastic thing and snap it back into the little plastic slot that it came out of, and they were like, oh my gosh, my dad can fix anything. And then when they got a little older, their toys got a little bit more complicated. And when the action figure or the little pony or whatever's leg would fall off or the arm would fall off, I had to pull out my other magical secret weapon, which was super glue. And they thought super glue just fixed anything. And they still kind of believe that super glue fixes anything. And I would super glue it. But if after they would actually leave it alone long enough to let it dry before they played with it again, after I would put the super glue on, they would play with it and the piece would break again. And then I would just tell them, hey guys, I don't know if I can fix this. Because once you got that, you know, kind of gunk on there, you know what I'm talking about? And after I've ripped off my fingerprints, you know, multiple times, um, <laughs> that I think that, you know, those toys, a lot of them sadly aren't with us today. Um, they ended up breaking again, and I just told my kids, listen, I can't fix it, I'm sorry. And these toys would end up either being thrown away or they would still play with the toys, but they would have to come up with some explainable reason for the injury to the other toy. So those toys would understand why this toy was missing an arm or a face or, uh, you know, a leg. And it was something like, this guy was in a battle and he lost his, he lost his face. And the pony's leg fell off in a race that it was in, but she won, and now she's a three-legged hero. You know, in order for something to be fixed, first it has to be broken. In Scripture, the Hebrew word for brokenness is the word shabar. And the word used in Hebrew literally and figuratively means the same thing. And it means it's a shattering, a tearing apart, a crushing into pieces. And the word is used both in a literal sense, and it's also used in the figurative sense. And as we see this word in Scripture, this shabar, this broken, it helps us to get a picture of the position of our heart that is truly going to be required for us to be healed and whole and to continue to grow in Christ's likeness and in godliness. And in Psalm 51 and 17, the psalmist writes this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In this scripture, you can see that the author, he associates brokenness with sacrifice. He said the sacrifices of God are 
a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. I looked up a few other uh, translations with this same passage of Scripture to see maybe some different verbiage to help me to get some perspective. And I looked it up in the New Living Translation and it reads this way. I really liked this. It says, it is a broken spirit you want, remorse and penitence. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not ignore. This text gives us a picture of brokenness and repentance, and mainly from pride, because pride is so stinking sneaky, is it not? It's not always this obvious trap that we're obviously aware of, and we're obvious that pride is present. Sometimes we are, and we wrestle with it when we're aware of it, but more times than not, pride is so stinking sneaky that it will come up in ways that we may not be aware of because maybe we're not self-aware enough to see the pride at work in our own heart or our own attitude or the tone of our voice or even the way that we may make hand gestures towards one another where we may be prideful in, in looking at someone, demeaning them with, with just hand gestures or tones or the way that we're coming across to someone. It's so sneaky and so arrogant and so many different little ways it'll come up and sneak into our lives and into our marriages and into our relationships. And I believe that God wants us to be broken of that. He wants us to repent of that and He wants us to be awakened to that so we can turn and we can actually be people who are filled with humility, filled with love, filled with patience and care, and He wants our marriages to be healed as a result. Here at Word of Grace, I have established a board of accountability where I can personally meet with a group of men every month. And we've gone through this book, and I've mentioned it several times by this author named Ken Nair. And the book is called Discovering the Mind of a Woman. And it's challenged all of us in my accountability group to really grow, to evaluate, and be more Christ-like in our relationship with our wives. And last month, when I met with my group, I was just being real transparent, and I asked them this question. I said, guys, how can I be more Christ-like in my relationship with my spouse in a situation where I feel like I just really do a lot? And they looked at me, and, and at first they were a little taken back, and I said, I just feel like I do this, and I do that, and I began to roll out all of my laundry list. I said, how do I maintain a Christ-like attitude in that type of situation? And actually, at first, as I began to roll out my laundry list, they began to kind of affirm all the things that I was doing, which made me feel really good, right? I mean, it was kind of stroking my ego, and they were like kind of on board with me in some of the things I was sharing. Hey, you know, I, I, I do this, I do this, I do that. And they were like, oh, wow, yeah, really? And then they confronted me with my own pride that was attached to the list, which I didn't like. And they helped me to see that the, the, the times I was Christ-like in some of those same situations, and they helped me to see what was different from the times that I was able to be Christ-like in those situations versus the time that I got very selfish. And you don't want to know what the difference was? Pride. Pride when I began to feel like I deserved something. Pride when I began to feel like I had earned something. Pride when I had begun to feel that, well, look at what I have done and how come this is either not being acknowledged or rewarded or perhaps, you know, validated at whatever level that I felt that it should have been. And the fact that they helped me to see that 
weren't there times when you were able to do certain things and you didn't feel that way? Well, yeah, of course. But then at a certain point, I was doing some of the same things, and then I began to feel all of a sudden like I, I wasn't being validated or, or it wasn't, I wasn't getting my way or what I wanted. And I'm like, it, nothing changed on my end. The only thing that changed was my attitude towards my spouse. The only thing that changed was the way that I would cheer because I, I was kind of building, you know, this laundry list and this uh, keeping score of what I was doing. And so many times in marriage, guys, we do this and we don't realize there's times when we're more than happy to jump in and help. There's times where we're more than happy to get involved and, and, and come right alongside our spouses and serve or be patient with them in certain scenarios. But then the same scenario could crop up and our attitude would be completely different. Well, what changed? Was it the task itself? Was it the situation itself? No, it was our own stinking pride that got in the way that caused us to, at that point, not have a Christ-like attitude. It was our own pride that got in the way that made us all of a sudden now feel like this is not fair or feel like this is not acceptable now. As to where before it was acceptable or before it was okay. And that's what they helped me to see. And I thank God for such wisdom like that because the Scripture clearly says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're some guru. I don't care if you're a marriage counselor. I don't care what you are or who you are. Every one of us need accountability. Amen? Every one of us need accountability. And I'm glad I have people in my life who are willing to speak to me instead of just validate and stroke my ego. Because they kind of started doing that at first until God gave them the wisdom to see through it. And then when they saw through it, they were honest enough and cared about me enough to speak the truth to me, and I didn't like it. But what it caused in me was an awareness to how pride had snuck into my heart and had changed my attitude towards my spouse in certain areas. And how I needed to then repent of that and I needed to turn away from that and recognize that. So that's just one more area in my life where I am now aware that I'm not going to allow the enemy to have a foothold to try to cause issues in my marriage with my wife. Because the enemy is not for the family. You know that? He is against the family. People are buying into this idea in our culture that marriage is this ancient thing that no one should do anymore because there's so much pain associated with it. Because maybe a childhood experienced a lot of pain with their own parents' divorce, or maybe uh, they experienced, you know, uh, some type of, of poor relationship. Even if the two stayed together, there was no real joy. There was no real sense of connection. And so because a child would have seen this model to them when they come of age to actually begin to consider uh, marriage, they're not as interested in it. And they want to go on the hunt for this perfect person. And they want to go look for this ideal person that fits all of their, their, their wants and desires and needs and just does everything they want them to do. Let me tell you, that person does not exist. Because you're going to find out real quick, wherever people are involved, I don't care if they're married or if they're just buddies, there's going to be conflict at some point. There's going to be disagreement at some point. There's going to be pride sneak in. There's going to be some kind of thing happen between two people to where we really have to evaluate the position of our heart and make sure that we are maintaining a Christ-like heart and a Christ-like attitude in a situation whether we deem it as fair or not. Because our job, listen to me men, our job 
that God has given us, the responsibility that He has given us in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, He told us that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, right? That's what He said. He gave us responsibility in that area. And I found something really interesting in studying Scripture this week, and it's not really uh, something I was studying for this message in particular. My staff and I are going through a read the Bible in a year plan together. And we're all reading and we're getting together once a week and kind of discussing what we've read, holding each other accountable, and we're just talking about uh, what God is showing us. And that's something that our staff is doing every week. And we started in Genesis. And when we began to read through Genesis, everybody sat down and said, hey, what did you see in Genesis? And everyone was sharing their thoughts and kind of perspective God had given them. It was really encouraging. And God showed me something that I had really never seen as clearly, and maybe because my mind was set on preparing a, a marriage message, I don't know. But at the same time, when I read the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, we know that it was Eve who was interacting with the serpent in the garden, and that the serpent lied to her, and that she took of the fruit and disobeyed God. And the Bible says she gave the fruit to Adam, which was also Adam's disobedience. And the Bible says Adam was with her there, so it wasn't like he was on vacation somewhere else. But I find it interesting in the order of the violation of the commands of God, it was Eve who was tempted and Eve who fell first and made the decision to fall under the serpent's lies and believe them and disobey God. And then Adam did it next. But if you look in Scripture, when God goes to confront Adam and Eve over their sin, God confronts Adam first. God goes and says, where is Adam? And when he goes to confront them of their sin, he first confronts Adam. And when I saw that, I was like, whoa. I was like, even though Eve was the one who violated first, he confronted Adam first. Why? Because he gave Adam this responsibility to lead. He gave the husband this responsibility to lead. And listen, guys, in Ephesians chapter 5, where the apostle Paul says that we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church, that is not a conditional type of love. Oh, am, am I getting anybody's business today? I'm not speaking to you as if I've got all this figured out. I just told you last month I was meeting with my accountability group, and they're helping me grow too. We have to remember it is our responsibility to lead, and God looks at it that way. That's how God views our role. And we are to love our spouses as Christ loved the church, not love our spouses and treat them kindly and be patient with them and be affectionate with them and care for them when they do what we want. Hello, somebody. Love our wives as Christ loves the church, giving himself for her. But it takes a brokenness from pride to get to that place in your heart. It really does. It takes a brokenness from pride because we as guys, we feel that unless we get what we want, that we're going to withhold certain things from our spouse. And, and our wives feel the same way. Ladies, when, when we don't get certain things, when you don't get certain things from your husband, you, you want to withhold certain things, whether that's affection, whether that's time, whatever the case may be, people want to withhold. And we think that when you become worthy of my attention or my affection, then I'll give you what you want when you do what I want. And we play this game with each other that's very dangerous, and it begins to widen the gap of separation between two people. And, and, and listen, I, I'm, I know that my kids are not even yet teenagers. I'll have a teenager this year, though. Be, be praying for me. I'll have a teenager in 2018. But 
at, at the same time, I, I've talked to wise couples and, and wise men and women who are much farther along in life and much wiser than I am, and they've talked to me about raising children and how when they become an adult and when they move out of the house, that there's often this thing of raising your kids that unifies you as a couple for a season. Even though you may not be synced up in any other area in life, you still have a common goal. And when those children leave the home, all of a sudden your common goal that you had, if you have not invested in your relationship with one another, that common goal is removed and you look at this other person and it's just you and them in the house and you don't know who they are. And I've had couples share that with me, and they've encouraged me. They've said, Pastor, you need to invest in your marriage with your relationship while you are raising your children, not pause your relationship with your spouse when there are children in the home. You need to invest in your relationship with your spouse while they are there as well as afterwards. Don't hit the pause button on romancing your spouse, guys. I'm just trying to help you. First of the year, come on. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good or anything. You need to romance your spouse. You need to engage in developing your friendship. My wife and I realized that we had begun to kind of go our separate ways with just things we enjoyed to do uh, at a certain level because I found myself isolating and doing things I enjoyed. She found herself isolating, doing things she enjoyed, which there's nothing wrong with having just your personal time. I'm not saying you have to do every single thing together, but we began to say, hey, let's evaluate this because I've been spending a lot of time over here in this space, and she's been spending a lot of time over here in this other space. Are we, are we starting to disconnect a little bit? Let's evaluate that. Let's be open and honest enough to share how we feel about that so that we can stay connected. Because one of these days, it's going to be a big old empty house with just me and you in there. And we're going to be looking at each other. And I want to enjoy looking at you. <laughs> and I don't want to have resent that has been, resentment that's been stuffed for years. Hello, somebody. I don't want to have unforgiveness and bitterness and all of these thoughts of what you should have, could have, would have done stuffed and I don't know you because our common thing that we had is go, gone. So, so then, uh, you know, I, I see that couples will, will chase after their grandchildren or chase after their adult children to try to, try to stay connected to them because they don't want to deal with their husband or their wife. They don't want to deal with their spouse. There's nothing wrong with having a healthy relationship with your adult children or your grandchildren. But listen, first and foremost, your priority is your relationship with God. And second, it's not the kids or the grandkids. It's your spouse. And, and you can't let that go. And if you get things out of order and out of priority, there's going to be resentment. There's going to be bitterness. There's going to be all sorts of things that you're opening up the door for the enemy on. And guys, it's your job to lead through those different seasons. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> you see, this uh, conversation I had with my accountability board awakened me to some things. Not just that one instance, but it helped me to see clearly some other things that led me through a season or a time of, of heavy, heavy brokenness to where I really was going through a heavy season of evaluation and where I was really being broken over how I had seen pride and how I had seen things that I had done. And I had to repent of that. Brokenness is not meant to shame you. It is meant to lead you to repentance. So many people want to run away from brokenness because they feel there's shame attached to brokenness. And they just they can't stand the thought of being exposed, whether to their spouse or to friends or whatever. And so we'll hide our sin and we'll sweep it under the rug and we'll show other people that we've got our act together. And we'll put on a good show, an Oscar-winning performance, a, a plastered smile, 
and show everyone how things are going so great in our lives and how happy we are and how great we are. But behind closed doors, man, if our house was bugged, if, if our conversations in the car were mic'd, and if it were a reality show, man, it would, uh, it would be chaos. And it's not meant to shame you going through seasons of brokenness. That's not the intent of God to make you feel like you're this horrible, terrible person. He already let us know the position of our heart in Romans 3 and 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all, right? And so if all means all, God is not trying to shame you. He's trying to lead you through repentance because He's wanting to heal you. He's wanting to bring reconciliation and bring health so you can enjoy those relationships that you have in your life and so that He gets the glory because it's not you that made this thing happen. It's Him. And it's your dependence on Him. And it's your willingness to uh, submit to what He's doing in your heart and in your life and in your marriage. So, so don't take brokenness as something that you've got to walk around looking like Eeyore all the time. You know, nobody cares about me. I just am not a good husband. And I'm not a good wife. Listen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing yourself to the perception that you have of other people because you only know them so far. And you only see so much of their lives. Stop allowing yourself to buy into this lie that you're just this huge failure who's done all these things wrong. Listen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't allow when sin is revealed to you, when, when you see the pride for what it is, don't allow yourself to play the game and sweep it under the rug and go on about your merry way like everything's fine. Let it bring you to a place of repentance. Because that's going to be the first step to fixing us. That's going to be the first step to you growing is being aware of that, being broken over that, and repenting over that pride that we have allowed. Let's go over to the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. If you have your Bible, flip over there with me. Romans chapter 2. Let's read the first verse through the fifth verse. It says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, you practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you're storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, Paul is speaking to the Romans who are very much in this comparison trap. They're comparing themselves as the Roman Christians who are Jewish and the Roman Christians who are uh, the non-Jewish people that grew up in very much a pagan religion. And now these people have both become Christians, 
And they're following Christ and they're comparing themselves with one another. And the Apostle Paul is trying to help them to see something that perhaps they had not seen before. To consider that it's not about you saying, well, because I do these things or I don't do these things, I'm better than this person or I'm worse off than this person. He said that's not the whole purpose of God showing you your sin and you having that sin brought up in front of you. It's not so you can compare yourselves to other people. It's not to shame you. He said, no, it's the kindness of the Lord leading you to a place of repentance. Not so you can keep score. Not so you can compare and point fingers like I was doing with my spouse and keeping track of all the things I had done so that I could exert myself the way I felt like I wanted to or could get whatever I felt I was entitled to. It's to lead us to repentance, not to shame us, not to make us compare ourselves with one another, it's to lead us to repentance. That's what the kindness of the Lord is for. The kindness of the Lord is not for us to just glaze over our sin and just know we're okay and you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. No, that's not true. That's not the case. The purpose of the kindness of God, the purpose of the patience of God is to bring us to a place where we actually repent, where we actually repent. Now, we need to understand what this idea of brokenness means because broken is not destroyed. Broken is not worthless. Broken is not less valuable. Brokenness in the eyes of God is a place where we can see our sin and we can see ourselves for who we truly are. Brokenness is true self-examination to see our need for Jesus. And our response should not just be an apology because apologizing is just one part of repentance. Repentance is, number one, acknowledging my sin and being sorrowful over it, like actually acknowledging that I've done wrong, and not just acknowledging that I've done wrong, because sometimes you just acknowledge wrong when it's brought up to you because you want to move past it. You're not necessarily sorrowful over it. We will just apologize, especially, you know, when you're a kid. You'll just apologize to your little sister, you know, when you did something that hurt her feelings, you know, you shouldn't have said that to your little sister, apologize now, sorry. <laughs> you shouldn't have thrown that toy at them, you see what you did to them, look at what you did to them, sorry. Apologize, hug them. That's not true repentance. I'm talking about acknowledging your sin and being sorrowful over it. That's a godly sorrow a type of sorrow that actually is good because it's working something good in me, even though it's not enjoyable at the time. It's not. This is not easy stuff. This is not fun stuff. But it's healthy if we will grow in acknowledging our sin and actually allowing ourselves to be sorrowful over it. Man, I, I'm, I'm really sorry over, over this. I acknowledge it. Number two, apologizing to God and those that I have offended, saying, God, I'm sorry, apologizing that, that uh, we have uh, been prideful or whatever the case may be. That's, that's another part of repentance. When we were going through this book, Discovering the Mind of a Woman, with some of our staff, because we went through that book with uh, some of our staff and, and some of their spouses as well, when we did that, I'll never forget the very first meeting that we had. And I asked one of the guys to pray at the end of the meeting. And this guy, when he prayed, after we had all committed to what we were going to hold each other accountable in for the week, he prayed a prayer, and he said something in a way that it gripped my heart. He said, God, forgive us as husbands for the way that we have treated your daughters. 
And when he said that, I went, should have prayed myself. Because <clears throat> if you begin to think about that, wow, forgive us, God, for our attitude. Forgive us for our self-righteousness. Forgive us for our not honoring them, not loving them, not, not treating them as, as the gift that God, they truly are, and not loving them as Christ loved the church. Wow. When he prayed that prayer, God, forgive us for treating your daughters in this way or having these types of attitudes towards these daughters or this entitlement towards your daughters. God, forgive us. Wow, we need to apologize to God and to those that we have offended. That's another part of repentance. The third part of repentance is making efforts of reconciliation where needed. There will be times where it's not just about the acknowledgement of sin or apologizing to God and those you offended, but it's actually going to take some time to begin to repair things that were damaged. The longer that you let that thing go, you need to be patient and you need to begin to consistently do the right things because it is the right thing, not because you get rewarded for doing the right thing instantaneously. Hello, somebody. So many times if we feel like, oh, I'm, excuse me, so many times if we feel like I'm doing the right thing, well, I should get acknowledged for this, right? Somebody needs to high five me over this deal, you know, Somebody needs to acknowledge this. I mean, I need to put this on Facebook, right? <clears throat> I haven't bought my wife flowers in 10 years. I bought her flowers, Facebook. And we do things like that because we want to announce to everyone, look at what I'm doing, look at how I'm making the right decision. And when we haven't done those things in years, but now we want to announce it, now we want to pray as if we've accomplished some great thing. We need to be consistent in those attitudes, not just the one time where we go, look at what I did. That's, again, serving self. That's that selfish nature. That's that pride creeping in that wants to puff out its chest and say, look what I did, instead of really making it genuine. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you, those of you who are in this process of of reconciliation in certain areas of your relationship with your spouse, I would encourage you, whatever you do, Do it as Scripture says when it talks about giving. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it in secret. In other words, don't go and publicize it for everybody else to see so they can pat you on the back. Let your spouse know you're doing it just for them and not for any outside attention. Not so she'll go tell all of her friends. Whether she tells her friends or not is her business or whether he tells his friends or not is his business, but don't do it for those reasons. Don't just Instagram it and Facebook it and put it out there for the world to see because you're proud of what you did. If, if she, he or she wants to do that, that's their business. But as far as you're concerned, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it because you care about them, not for outside attention. That was for free. <laughs> the fourth thing is you make a commitment to turn away from that sin. And really, all four of these things helps to define what repentance is. When we say the word repent, we're not just talking about I'm sorry. We're talking about this is a heavy thing. When we say repentance to God, when we say we're repenting to our spouse, we're talking about a heavy, heavy thing. We're talking about acknowledging that sin, being sorrowful over it. We're talking about apologizing to God and those we offended. We talk, it's part of our repentance is, is making efforts of reconciliation when needed. Part of that is making that commitment to turn away from that sin. It doesn't mean that we may not ever make that violation again because there are times when we're weak and we do fall. And, and during those times, you have to go back to that, 
repentance. But listen, a true repentance is going to be when we make that commitment and that decision to follow through with that. And here's the other part of making a commitment to turn away that I think we miss so many times, is that we're afraid of having accountability in our lives. And I would encourage you that when you're making a commitment to turn away from something, have someone hold you accountable. If it's something towards your spouse, have your spouse hold you accountable. Oh boy, that's fun, isn't it? Have group of, a group of people that you trust or a person that you trust, have them hold you accountable and let them know what accountability looks like to you and what you mean when you say that. Don't be generic. In Christianity, too often times we don't get enough growth or, or, or see enough help uh, actually manifest because Christians love to paint with this big broad brush and we won't get down to the nitty gritty and get real specific. I would encourage you, don't paint with that broad brush. Oh, just hold me accountable to do better. That's super broad. What specifically? And I used to challenge my guys when we would go through this book that we went through, Discovering Mind of a Woman, when we did this with our staff every week, everyone had to make a specific commitment of what they were going to focus on, and everyone in the group had to hold those people accountable to that and make sure that we did it. And because the next week when they showed up, we said, hey, how did this go? Did you do that thing you said you were going to do? And sometimes they went, yeah, it went really well. Sometimes they went, no, didn't go so well. And we talked about those things and how we can grow. Accountability is a huge key to this. Um, I have given my wife uh, the, the, the uh, opportunity to where I would tell her, hey, listen, I promise you that in this instance, if this happens and you call me out, I'm going to make a commitment to you that I'm not going to get upset over it. I, I, and, and she's brought it up a few times and I was tempted you know, when I would start to behave a certain way or have a certain attitude or a certain reaction. And I would, I would go, oh yeah, I told her that she could do that. I told her that I wouldn't get upset over it. Oh man, I made that promise. Have people hold you accountable when you make a commitment to turn away from something. The very word repent in Hebrew means to change one's mind or to turn away from sin. So when we talk about renewing the mind in Romans chapter 12, there's a transformation attached to renewing the mind. There's a change attached to renewing the mind because I used to think one way, but now I'm going to submit to God's way and I'm going to start to do things God's way. I want to try things God's way instead of mine because mine will get me my results. I would rather have God's results in my marriage, wouldn't you? Healing comes through brokenness. So many times, People are just looking for healing, they're looking for wholeness, they're looking for reconciliation, but pride won't let them go of the idea of being right. And listen to me, you may very well be right. You may be right and the other person may be wrong. But so many times we hold on to this idea of being right for so long that we never find healing because we just want to be validated that we were right. And that's pride at the core. Humility says, even though I'm right, even though I know that I did the right thing and the other person did the wrong thing, humility says, I'm not going to keep this trophy of being right in my trophy case and polish it and display it as often as I can to my friends or my coworkers or my family. Look, you know I was right, right? Look at how shiny my trophy is. I was right, right? Come look at my trophy case. Let me tell you the story again and again and again, and again, and again, and you become like Uncle Rico saying, I could throw the football over that mountain, you know, like I was the, I was the, I was the quarterback champion in the final seconds of the game that was, you know, and you're telling the story over and over again. It's been 20 years since you graduated high school, man. Let it go, bro. 
And we polish the trophy and we tell the story and we get just as mad about the scenario and we feel just as validated as when it happened 20 years ago. And we hold those things and we look at that trophy case and we want everyone to see how right we were. Listen, folks, even if the other person was wrong and you were right, it's time for us to take those trophies and allow ourselves to be broken in humility and evaluate ourselves instead of pointing fingers and blame shifting and living in the past. Amen, somebody. What are some things that have been tension points in your marriage? What are some areas maybe that you would call repeat offenders, repeated frustration points, things that you've learned to deal with, but things that still hurt, things that you've swept under the rug? They still hurt, but you just kind of tolerate those things. I would encourage you to take this message and ask God to show you where pride has snuck in and change your attitude towards your spouse. Even if you're at some level the victim to where you've still stuffed this thing and it's building resentment, it's building anger, it's building all of this junk towards your spouse that it's time for you to let go of. It's time for you to find healing because until you let go of it, you're not going to find that healing. You're going to just cope. You're going to cope. And you're going to look for a coping mechanism. Whether that coping mechanism is friends, whether that coping mechanism is spending a lot of money on things to make yourself feel good temporarily, whether that coping mechanism is alcohol, pornography, whether that coping mechanism is gossip and being constantly patted on the back and justified for being right. You're just going to go through life coping, and you hope that just time will help you to heal, and you just hope that if I can put enough distance and time between me and the person that has hurt me that that, that, that maybe everything's going to be fine. No, listen, folks, healing comes through brokenness. It comes through brokenness. It comes from me saying, God, what are the areas in my life that I'm holding on to things that I need to let go of? What are the things that I need to give to you? What are the areas I need to grow in to be more Christ-like? What are the areas in my life that you're trying to show me that I've stuffed this junk because I like being right more than I want to be free? got to come to a point where you make a decision. I would rather have a healthy marriage than maintain the position of just being right for the rest of my life. Because we all say we want healthy marriages, but the problem is, is that we want Burger King marriages. We want them our way right away. We want a healthy marriage, but we want a healthy marriage the way we want a healthy marriage. You got to let go of the way you want a healthy marriage, and you got to want it the way God wants it. And part of that process is going to be brokenness and evaluation and repentance and reconciliation and leading men, leading and loving your spouse unconditionally and having that mutual submission and care for one another to where you don't make the marriage all about you and putting God at the very center of everything and allowing God and His holy word to define for you what your marriage should be and how to get there and living by God's statutes. But that's going to take some brokenness and that's going to take some, some evaluation and some repentance. But God's not doing it to shame you. He's not doing it to throw you out there to just say, here's all your issues. He's doing it because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He does it because He loves us. I didn't want to see the ugliness in my heart and my attitude. I didn't want to look at that. I'm a pastor. Come on. 
I wanted to celebrate my trophies, all the good things I do, right? How awesome I am, right? And God was saying, no, here's the ugliness. Here's the things you're holding on to. Here's the self-righteousness that you're entertaining in your mind and in your heart, and you need to see that as sinful. You need to be broken over it. And man, wow, healing truly does come through brokenness. And I'll tell you guys, I'll be honest, this brokenness deal, sorry, it's not a one-time gig. (laughs) It's not a one-time gig where the band comes out and plays the song and wham, bam, it's done and everybody feels better about themselves and you just get healed. You go through seasons of brokenness. You do. If you're willing to really allow God and the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart, it's seasons of brokenness that you go through, but it's not to destroy you. That's why God doesn't dump all of it on us at once, because He's patient and graceful and kind and merciful. His mercies are new every morning, and it's not God is, is standing behind a corner with a baseball bat just ready to whack you because He's so upset with you. No, it, it, He's kind. He's merciful. He's loving towards you, but out of His kindness and out of His mercy, He's wanting you to repent. He's wanting you to see your sinfulness. And He's wanting you to see even how in your attitudes and how in your tone and see how you're, you're, you're coming across. And He's wanting you to evaluate those things because our God is for us. Amen, church? He's not showing us these things because He's somehow against us or He's trying to hurt us. No, He's leading us through these periods because the only way that heart change can really happen is if we really repent. And that means I have to be broken, but healing comes through that. And I loved this analogy that was given when we were in Haiti. I know I've shared this before, but one of the staff people said, in Haiti, you're stripped from all security. And when you're stripped from all the security that you're used to in America, you're very vulnerable. And God can speak to you in ways that he that you may not be open to as much when you're in America because you've allowed your heart to immediately get to a place of vulnerability because you're just vulnerable, man. You can't speak the language. You're not comfortable. You don't know where things are. You don't know who you can trust. You're vulnerable. And this lady, she said, and God will use that vulnerability to show you things about yourself that he's wanting to free you from. And he'll break you and he'll rebuild you. And then he'll break you, and he'll rebuild you. He'll break you, and he'll rebuild you. And I experienced that on my trip to where, man, God was showing me some things, and it caused me to be broken. And when you start to share those things, people just start sobbing uncontrollably. And then the next night, you're fine, but, you know, another one of your team members is sobbing uncontrollably over something God has broken them over or is showing them. And listen, it's, it's this process of breaking and rebuilding. But every time that we get broken, and every time we allow ourselves to go through this process of brokenness and be open to what God is saying, He always heals us, and He always restores us, and He always rebuilds us, and He always strengthens us, and guess what? It's not our strength at that point. It's our reliance on Him, so actually we're, we become in a position of depending on Him in a greater way, and He helps us to grow. God will heal you through brokenness, he will heal you through repentance, through rebuilding over and over again. My hope today is that you'll be awakened to brokenness and allow God to make your marriage stronger for His glory. I've always associated the word broken to mean bad. But now that I have experienced the healing of God and what He can bring in a heart, I see broken as necessary. 
I see brokenness as good. It never feels good, but it takes me to a new level of transparency with my spouse. It takes me to a new understanding of myself, and most important of all, it takes me to a place of deeper trust with God. So I want to encourage you as we kick off this year with the first series of 2018 as you are looking in evaluating areas in your life to grow as you're evaluating areas of your life to strengthen man i would love to see marriages all in this church stronger and stronger and stronger for the glory of god but it's going to take us being more and more humble and willing and obedient to what god is doing in our hearts embrace those seasons that make you vulnerable don't hide from them don't run away from them don't pretend Awaken to brokenness and press into God and awaken to what He wants you to do. God, I thank You for this day. I thank You for this opportunity to just be vulnerable, to be transparent, to talk about things that may be challenging, but Lord, things that are necessary. And I pray You would help all of us to evaluate right now, God, our own hearts, our own attitudes, where pride has maybe snuck in where repentance is required, where brokenness, Lord, is required. And maybe we're in a season of brokenness now. Maybe there's been broken relationship, maybe broken marriages, maybe things that are very fresh. And I pray you bring healing, God, the only way you can. I pray that, Lord, you help us to have our eyes open so we can see clearly, have the eyes of our understanding, Lord, open so we can see so clearly your grace at work in our heart, so we can see your goodness at work in our heart, so we can see your love at work in us, that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, and it doesn't matter who was right, Lord. I pray you help us to find healing, and you help us to move past the past. I pray, God, that you help marriages to heal and get stronger. I pray that you would help people to be able to communicate better with one another. And I pray, Father, that people would be drawn to you and put you at the very center of their marriage as we work on, Lord, allowing you to fix us, doing things your way. Lord, I pray you help us to be awakened to that, to lead us through the seasons of repentance and rebuilding so that you will shine through us, so your glory can be revealed through us. And we thank you for that reconciliation that you give us through Christ. And we thank you for that reconciliation that can happen in our relationships as well. Lord, I pray for those who aren't married, and I pray that you would help them to take this message and let it change the attitude of their heart towards marriage or towards dating whatever season they may be. And those that may be engaged, I pray that you would help to temper them I pray, God, you would help us all to be able to apply this word as it filters through the, the life experience that we've all had and the, the lenses that we view the world through that, Father, we would begin to see things your way and trust in you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.